God damn it, you accursed. It's time for another episode of Curse of Politics, our demure little podcast featuring the polite and soothing tones of our comms and strategy experts, Scott Reed and Jenny Byrne. Hey, before we get to the pod proper, I want to give our swag shop a plug. Would you like to ostentatiously display brand affiliation, thereby deepening a meaningful emotional bond with your favorite political podcast? How about sipping a hot beverage from a logoed Curse of Politics vessel or wearing the hurly-burly on your chest? Well then, go to aircoatsmedia.com slash shop swag and click on some beautiful products designed to make us a minuscule amount of money while they warm your cold, cold political hearts. All right, today we're going to talk about advertising in Ontario, the CPC taking up the Reform Act, Tofino apologies, and our new segment, Cursed Clippings. We'll talk about Althea Raj's article on how Trudeau and the Liberals turned around their faltering campaign. And please, please don't forget to stick around for Gordon Pinsent, teeing up our hey use. Jenny, Scott, how are we this week? Great, David. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm really fine. Is that really is fine. that Jagger on your shirt today? That's Jagger on my shirt. The Stones are out uh, touring, and Jagger's wandering around Instagramming himself in touristy shots throughout uh, America. I love that. So, yes. I love that thirsty beaver, hungry beaver, <laughs> snapping beaver, whatever it was called there, that joint that he's, he's standing there having a beer and none of the palookas even know it's him. I think that's just the most awesome thing in the world. I don't know. Some some skeletal 85-year-old dude came in and had a beer and we just left him to himself. Uh, Jenny, your condo looks beautiful. It's really coming together. Oh. I think the rug really yeah, nice together. Thank you. Yes. And you see my Fenlin. I have a, a picture of the uh, uh, Fenlin uh, the movie theater sign. So they tore down. Oh, the, uh, that's what that is. Yeah. Yes. They, they, they tore down the theater. So it's very, it's very weird driving down the main street of Fenlin, but they preserved the, uh, they pre preserved the sign. So uh, uh, anyways, I have, I have a picture of that. It's a little bit of home here in Toronto. The whole thing is just right. like a chromatic kiss. It's just, it's kind of gray with a little gray blue, a little steel gray. And just, I got to tell you, it, it just, it, it, it warms, warms me. <laughs> well, thank you. What's that picture? Who's that? Is that your mom? Yeah, that's my Who's mom that and picture? dad. That, the one there? That's yeah. my mom and dad. Yeah, that's And is that dad. a, yeah, nice. that's a, that's a TV tray I see in the corner there, right? That's a, so you can sit in your favorite chair. No, and that's watch a Jeopardy yeah. as you. <laughs> Eat pudding. It's, it's a bar cart. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't have booze on it yet. <laughs> the booze didn't make it out of the kitchen. <laughs> well, Jenny, I don't know if how long you're going to be able to afford that lovely condo because it seems to be election season in Ontario. Uh, aren't you going to have to? Aren't you going to have to go back and help out? The whole thing's in gear now. Aren't you going well, to have to go back and assume? I. I think everyone's. Uh, I think everyone's uh, gearing up for uh, gearing up for campaigns. I, I'm. Uh, I'm not going to be playing a role in the in the in the war room uh, this time. I'll have, I've got tons of friends that are running, so I'll do kind of what I do federally. Is is uh, I will go around and door knock and uh, and help people uh, uh, throughout uh, throughout the province because uh, I love to door knock. So that is what I'll. Uh, that is what I will do. I'm pretty sure the liberal campaign would rather have a black cat walk under a ladder every fucking day than see me show up in the headquarters. <laughs> hey, everybody, Hurley's back. <laughs> he's got seven seats in his back pocket, and he says, let's rock. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up, guys. <laughs> oh. yeah, so everybody has ads. 
Everybody has ads. What's going on? Uh, it's a year out. Everybody feels the need to be out there on television, uh, in social media, however much money they've got. And, uh, and Del Duke is in everybody's ads. So, well, what do you think? Well, I, well, I, I, listen, I'm not surprised. I, I think it's smart that the, the parties are going out and doing advertising. The one thing with fixed election dates is, you know, when the date is, so you can kind of plan accordingly, uh, accordingly backwards. The, um, uh, the federal election is over now. So there's, there's the ban that bandwidth is, uh, is gone. And so it's time to, uh, it's time to, uh, to start the pre-writ side of the campaign. Plus this is now, uh, not within the uh, spending cap for pre-writ spending. That's six months before. So I think a lot of the parties that have money are going to, are going to do as much as they can. Can now before they actually have to attribute for uh, for what their uh, what their spending is. Jenny, just one technical question: Would you ever, if you weren't certain that you had enough money to run a fully funded writ campaign, would you ever spend money pre writ? Yes. 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 Even at the I expense of the writ advertising. Yeah. Yeah, but how do how do how do you know? You're, right now, you're we're we're eight months away from uh, from an election campaign, and so uh, you've got your fundraising people. Uh, you're, they're doing their thing, and uh, you take the chance that uh, that you're going to be able to raise that. Uh, you're going to be able to raise that money uh, in the next uh, in the next eight months. But I think not doing anything would put any of these parties uh, any of these parties on the back uh, like behind behind the others. I, I'm a big fan of uh, pre read advertising. I think trying to identify and trying to um, uh, basically brand uh, your opponents uh, in the 30 some days of an election campaign just is not workable. Right. Scott, you see anything interesting out there? Um, I think I'm going to surprise you and tell you that I think the most interesting ad of the whole lot to me is not one of the negatives. Most of them are negative ads uh, because most of them are seeking to define their opponent and try to set terms. Um and I think there's lots of interesting things to talk about and come back to Del Duca um, because he's the least understood and least recognized, like by a mile, the least recognized and least understood leader and therefore um, most opportunity and the most risk uh, around the eventual definition that he'll carry into a campaign. But I think the most interesting ad is that positive one that the PCs put out. I'm guessing it has zero weight, but they put out a positive ad that the I yes thought man? was, yeah, and I, I thought it was, Clever. I thought it was clever and intriguing. So the conceit to the ad, as you say, is yes, it's got Doug Ford saying, hey, you know what? I'm not like uh, one of those guys who's always saying no. Everybody says politicians always say no. They can't do nothing. They say no. I'm saying yes. I say yes. I'm going to build houses. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that or whatever. I'll come to your house, whatever the fuck you ask for. You want tarts? You want a pie? Yes. The answer is yes. Always yes. <laughs> I thought it was a clever kind of attempt to redefine the guy as the, you know, like the problem I think that the that that the ad implicitly acknowledges is that he's a populist tit and he says yes to everything. Hey, you know, uh, I heard all these doctors are mad. They're not getting enough money. So sure. Yes. No, Premier. Actually, we're going to fight the ophthalmologist. Huh? Well, we're doing that. But I want them to like me. He wants everyone to like him. He always wants to say yes. He always does say yes. Uh, he has the discipline of a licorice whip. And so... I think trying to redefine that and say, well, let's just take ownership of it. If it is going to be what it's going to be. So let's just say, look, you know, yeah, he likes to say yes. And that's a positive. That's what you're looking for in a leader. Somebody says yes all the time. He's not so darn negative like all those other no saying people. Um, <laughs> I, so I thought that was a, I don't know if it's, if it's like, 
and it sounds like the least Ford thing in the world. I don't know if it's too like overly intellectualized. Does it get too clever by half? Like, are they like outsmarting themselves by doing it? But I thought it was, I thought it was an, a, an interesting thing because I, I think if you're the conservatives, you, you got to be very worried. He won the last election because he wasn't Kathleen Wynne. And it breaks our heart, David and mine, that that's how the public felt. But that's how the public felt. And this time, he they're going to try to run against Wynne, as we're seeing. But it's going to be a referendum on Ford. Uh, or at least that's the fear if you're Ford. And I don't, I'm not sure that people think that Ford's that reliable. So I thought that was the most interesting ad. How do they? Uh, how do they lose though? How does Ford lose if the other two parties, if the primary between the Liberals and the New Democrats remains in a draw? Unless somebody wins that primary and emerges decisively as the challenger to Ford, and the anti-Ford votes coalesce, how does he lose? To me, he looks like he's in a sweet spot right now. Yeah, I agree. I think I think he's in a I think he's in a very good spot. And I think his polling, I think that if we were having this conversation six months ago, uh, kind of in the spring around the time that, you know, the 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 uh, covid measures, the lockdown measures of, you know, closing down uh school or closing down uh, kids parks and stuff like that. I think it was different. I think it's kind of uh, it's kind of stabilized now. And you have the liberals and the NDP who who are pretty much neck and neck, depending on what polls you're looking at. They're, they're within two or three percentage um, of each other. Um, uh, Andrea Horvath seemed to have upped her game a bit. I thought last week she seemed a little bit more on the ball. Her press conference was a bit more punchy. She was good in, in question period. And, and Del Duca just benefits from having uh, the liberal brand behind him, which we've talked about. It's the most resilient brand, uh, I think, in the Western world in terms of political parties, uh, the Liberal Party brand of Canada and ergo the, the Ontario one. And so if it stays like this, if these parties stay fighting each other, to your point, David, uh, it is a real, real sweet spot for uh, for Ford. And, and, and as for the ads, I think, listen, I am assuming that there is I know a lot of research and going behind the ads. So so, you know, my my gut instincts on the yes man ad, uh, I'm not sure how much I like it. But I also know that uh, there was a lot of thought and there's a lot of smart people that are actually that are working on their ads that know a lot more than me in terms of that. I think you'll probably see, Scott, to your point, very little weight behind that. I think you're going to see um, you're going to see the Del Duca ad talking about his record in the win, uh, the win government and, and being an extension of Kathleen Wynne uh, and the Horvath ad. I've actually seen the Horvath ad personally more than I've seen uh, the uh, uh, the, Del, the Del Duca ad that she'll say uh, she'll say anyone. It's the one I find the, the most perplexing because it's it's the she will say anything. I don't actually think that is a Kathleen or is a Andrea Horvath issue. And also it talks about um, uh, the uh, uh, the highway uh, four one is the four one three or whatever four four one three or whatever the highway is. But it, it it is essentially a highway that that goes through almost every liberal conservative switcher ridings. There's it goes through Peel, so you've got three Brampton ridings that the NDP hold. Yeah. But for the most part, it's not an <laughs> it's not an issue where we're fighting the liberals on. So so I'm very curious about that. But again, I assume that there's a strategy behind it that we're just not aware of because. You know, we, we don't have all of the data points. I don't know what you can brand. Okay, so you you were extremely effective, your team, at pre-branding Dion and Ignatiev to great benefit. Um, and for a while it worked on Trudeau, um, but it didn't stick through the campaign. But certainly with Ignatiev and Dion, you found a core truth, you drove it home, disqualified them, election effectively over before it even starts. Brilliant. Not sure whether you can do that 
to the third party leader in Ontario. So people have so little share of mind for Ontario provincial politics. They almost never know who the leader of the opposition is until the election campaign happens. It's impossible for me to believe that there's, I, I just believe no matter what advertising you do, that not one in 10 people will be able to tell you anything about Stephen Del Duca the day the election's called. So I just don't think anybody's going to pay any attention to the leader of the third party until you get into a writ. But I guess the theory is that it's all brushstrokes, right? So, um, uh, sure, people can't pick them out. They don't see the full picture. But if you lay out some brushstrokes in advance and maybe when the picture does come in, they go, oh, yeah, like I remember, you know. But th their, their attack on them, which I assume is research-driven and, and, and was considered in the context of other options, is win. Uh, it's not really about him. And so I think... Uh, that's kind of intriguing um, because it seems to me that that leaves open the opportunity for him to still define himself uh, distinctly from Wynn and from anybody else. And, um, and they're, they're almost not quarreling with that. So um, is, her, right. is, is the baggage of her name enough uh, to keep his balloon from floating? I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. It must be the best. It must be the best alternative available to them or they would have chosen another alternative because we know the people who are doing this work and they're not irrational and they're not stupid. Well, but David, to your point, uh, the fact that no one knows who he is, this this is actually telling people who he is. So you you may not know who Stephen Del Duca is, but just a reminder, he was a senior player in Kathleen Wynne's government. But that's it. it that yeah, is an introduction. That. that is an introduction. Whether anybody pays attention to it or not, I guess, is is my question. But I think I've said this before. When we were doing our 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 our, our branding on Ignatiev, the you know he's a guy that's going to go into a coalition with the separatist Bloc Québécois who who want to institute a carbon tax who will raise the price on gas, groceries, and everything that you buy. It was something we did not just with ads, but it was something we did with things the the SO thirty ones, the statements before question period. And and I think I've mentioned this before on the pod uh, before is is that the media used to we'd have caucus stand up and do this, and the media would laugh and they would roll their eyes, and we did this every day. For for a year. Every day there was at least three to four SO31s that would do it. And people would make fun and caucus would be like, do I really have to read this? And, but the first week of the campaign, the actual framing of the message of the first, the first week of the campaign, we talked about Michael Ignatiev's coalition with the separatist Bloc Québécois and his position on carbon tax, which would raise the price of everything. So sometimes the repetitiveness, it, it, it seems mundane and it seems to be not working, uh, but it, it does. It, it does work when you actually get down to, uh, to when the campaign is. So I've been talking about the whole use it or lose it thing the last couple of weeks, focusing on the idea of losing something when you don't use it. But today I want to flip it on its head. I want to explore a really important example of the benefits of using something. Our presenting sponsor, TELUS, is a technology leader with a social purpose. TELUS invests in Spectrum to digitally connect rural Canada. Spectrum is the radio waves that make your cell phone work. The federal government licenses Spectrum to companies who are expected to use it to actually provide service. TELUS is doing exactly that, providing service to places like Caramillos in BC's mountainous Okanagan Valley. Just think how critical cell phone connectivity has been to first responders in the region these last 19 months of pandemic and wildfires. So you'd think that would be the norm, right? Heightened awareness of just how important it is to use the spectrum to connect rural Canadians during the pandemic. But no, 
Way too many rural communities have their spectrum controlled by regional carriers who still choose to squat on it and then resell it for millions in profit, then use it to improve people's connectivity. I want to be clear, regional does not mean small. These are multi-billion dollar regional companies who get billions of dollars in government spectrum subsidies. And the fact is, they deploy less than 20% of the rural spectrum they hold. It's egregious. TELUS, on the other hand, has the strongest track record of deploying their rural spectrum. Almost two-thirds of it is put to use to do exactly what it is supposed to do, connect Canadians. Like I said, a technology leader with a social purpose. Go to telus.com slash connectingcanada to learn more. All right, so hey, we got a new section in this pod called Clippings, in which every week we're going to take a, a, a news story and talk about it. And uh, last week we did Jenny's uh, debate with Andrew McDougall about the leadership of the Conservative Party. This week we've got a great example of what people in the business call a TikTok. Elfia Raj wrote her piece on how the Liberals found their mojo and won the election campaign we call these, these things are called TikToks, um, not like the new social media app, but as in T-I-C-K-T-O-C-K, as in they're a minute-by-minute accounting of what went on, who did what, who said what. Uh, people love to contribute to these things. People love to help to shape the narrative of these things so that they're favorable toward them and that everybody in politics likes to read these things. I don't know if anybody outside of politics ever reads these things. But in any event, this one, this one started with a bit of a joke line that a lot of people made fun of, which is that Althea had consulted 57 insiders to uh, come up with this uh, TikTok. And uh, so... <laughs> She talked to a lot of people who thought they were insiders, but we're not, <laughs> is obviously what happened. Um, so let's hope she got some actual insiders in there. Overall, you guys, what did you think about the piece? Did you learn from it? I thought it was a great piece and kudos to Althea to, to, to she, she might've, there might've been some also rans uh, that, uh, that did interviews, but she, <laughs> she was able to get some pretty senior people like Katie Telford and Jeremy Broadhurst on the, uh, um, on the record. Uh, so that's, that, that is actually fast. That that's actually a big kudos to her. I thought it was a well, a uh, very well done uh, piece. I thought it was extremely interesting. Um, it, it really did do the play by play uh, and what we were kind of seeing from the outside that around September 2nd, September 3rd is when the liberals, felt they needed to uh they needed to kind of recalibrate they needed to do the first thing that they had never done which is put out attack ads contrast ads uh, i guess we can put down in our calendar september 4th uh, 2021 is when justin trudeau uh, approved uh his first uh his first ever uh contrast ads against uh against the opposition so i think it was very fascinating a few things though that i found uh interesting uh one that they talked about getting into high gear in july in terms of platform development and getting ready for the campaign well for fuck's sakes we had been talking talking from April and May that they were going forward for <laughs> a campaign. So, so the fact that they just started in July actually showed kind of a tremendous amount of arrogance that they, um, that they had in terms of where they were at in the polls, if they were just starting kind of a month, a month to go um, in terms of um, uh, campaign uh, preparation. And I, but I thought the, also the riding by riding stuff was, uh, was fascinating in terms of Pitfield. It was a, uh, that, that's when you, you have a well-oiled machine with a ton of data when you're sitting there and deciding how to put resources in riding by riding by riding. Um, uh, it reminded me of the 2015 campaign 
not that we we won the 2015 campaign, but we saved uh, a number of incumbents with tight seats um, in terms of uh, in terms of winning. In terms of the Conservatives, um, I felt I, I, I first of all I want I would hope Althea or someone does this TikTok on the Conservative campaign because I would be fascinated uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, the Conservative uh, the Conservative talking points about how they didn't anticipate things like um, the uh, you know, the liberals going after them in terms of gun control, in terms of their uh, their their uh, position to uh, revoke the OIC in terms of the banning of certain types of, uh, of firearms uh, was shocking to me. There's never been an election that I've been part of since the Conservative Party was uh, created that we have not the liberals. One of the liberals attacks have not been in guns. They've never they've never stuck in, in terms of uh, in terms of them, maybe in in a four um, uh, you guys with the ad where you had the gun pointed at the uh, at the uh, um, at the camera. Um, so I was shocked that it wasn't anticipating. And why I'd be curious is it really seems that um, the British consultants that uh, that the Conservatives brought in really seem to have a lot more. They're only mentioned once. There's just only one mention of them. They had a cameo, but not a role. So wait. So wait. This is so interesting. This is one of the things I wanted to highlight. So let me read this to you, uh, everybody. I'm going to draw together two sections. At one point in the uh, Althea Raj piece, it says the conservative platform had been worked on for nearly a year. It was carefully crafted to broaden the party's tent. And then we get to uh, the gun thing over the debates. Later that day, O'Toole clarified his position, pledging to preserve the Liberals' cabinet order. The party took the unusual step of amending its platform to reflect the change. The Conservatives hadn't anticipated the attack. Quote, we didn't really start thinking about this that much until the Liberals started making this an issue. And then we started thinking about how to clarify our position. Just logistically inside a campaign how is that possible the clarifying a position no the fact that you would have worked on a platform for a year that had a gun measure in it and you would not have discussed anticipated a counterattack or discussed how you would manage that issue going through how I can't- do you work on a platform for a year and nobody ever brings that up I don't know. I can't, I can't answer that because I have no idea how that would happen. Like that's like, you know, the, 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 we did, we did, I'm not sure what you guys did, but we did war game exercises with our, on ourselves, like uh, leading into the campaign. Like we would anticipate like attacks, like, you know, here's what the liberals would go out and say, like have like push them out in, in terms of how we'd respond. And this one was actually an easier one to respond to because gun crime has increased uh, has increased uh, under the Liberal watch uh, by a fair bit, 14%, I think. Here in Toronto, there's not a day, unfortunately, that you don't wake up. And and if you have like uh, CP24 or, or 1010 on in the morning, you're hearing about uh, uh, at least one shooting. So, so this was something they could have actually fought back on. I'm actually not, I don't understand how you don't anticipate, um, you don't anticipate attacks, attacks on yourself, especially ones where um, the attacks have happened kind of, uh, kind of election in, election out. Well, like the conservative platform, maybe this 
uh, TikTok should have had a footnote then, because when we blow past without contest the notion that it was a finely and carefully crafted platform, but then later we're told that they had given zero thought to the likely effect of the gun measures, um, it makes me feel like the footnote should read on carefully crafted, maybe not so fucking much, because... Uh, <laughs> You know, like, but this would, but this would go, and and, and I think I want to go back to the libs too. I wasn't trying to, but this would go mm -hmm. into my co comment about, it's about uh, the, yeah. the strategy being devised, and we can talk about this another. But the strategy actually being devised when we've heard about you know the Brits and Australians coming in, because if you weren't from Canada, uh, if you hadn't been part of campaigns for the last twenty years, you might not, uh, because it's never been an issue that if you were to like go on Wikipedia or like do read a synopsis of like the past campaigns, you would never have. Uh, gun control or gun legislation in there, but it's always been an issue. Everyone that's been involved in campaigns knows that it's an issue. But if you weren't anticipating, it's kind of like not anticipating that the PPC could be could be a factor. And the reason I bring the PPC up is one thing that was not really mentioned in Althea's uh, art article in terms of what helped the Liberal Party, and of course, I, I guess they can't say it, is the PPC was a giant help. Uh, Max and Bernie and the PPC vote was a giant help uh, to the Liberals in them uh, getting their 159 seats. So let me just take one step back and answer your first question, what I thought of the piece, David. And it's not going to be very pleasant because I, I have to say, I used to have a love-hate relationship with these kinds of articles, but now I think I was half right. wrong. And uh, I just hate it. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, like, I, and not just for knee-jerk reasons. Like, I, I think there's a couple of things about it. I mean, the nature of this piece, so it's not so much, you know, I'm not complaining to the star itself or to Althea as the author, but the, 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 the format of this piece, the construction, the conceit of these pieces, these TikToks, are, are such that um, you don't really get insight. You just get attestation. And the attestation is almost entirely at the authorship of those who decide to participate. So you've got Katie and Pitfield taking part, and they get to write the first pass on history, which takes me to my second complaint, which is that there's no contest like, there's no contest to things in here. Uh, like, you know, there's never a, you know, when the passage that you talked about saying, well, you know, a month before the campaign, they started getting ready for the campaign. It was accepted as though it was impossible to call the campaign earlier, that it would have been impossible to have thought about the campaign and been prepared at a different time, that you were forced by, I don't know, like... God or nature to call it when you did call it. Um, and there's no contest of that. There's no contest uh, around the comments that Pitfield says at the end where it says, okay, and then like in the final few days, the how we saved the campaign is that we built up this data system. So we were able to identify where our vote was. We knew exactly we had 44 billion bytes of information and 33 fucking trillion ways to communicate to them. And so we got that 31.6 or 32.6% out and we voted and we got them to vote in the right places and we win. And it's, and it's presented as though it were um, an astonishing uh, triumph. And it is, because we all know that any campaign you win is way better than the one you lose. But it's still 32.6. Like that recipe that he has just celebrated without contest or pushback or comment in her piece still only gets you 32.6, which begs the question of, well, how do you build a majority coalition with these tools? Or is it there's something else about going on about modern politics. So there's just no meditation in here. There's no reflection. There's no contest. So those who participate get to drive it with the color and the and and the candor of their comments. That dictates the whole thing. And people accept it as though, oh, well, that's a record of it. But most of it is just like shit we already knew because we were watching the campaign, but with 
you know, the footnotes and quotes of those who have an interest in saying, yeah, and I did the right thing here and I was smart there. And then we made the right call and it was all balloons and celebrations. And so I just, I, I, I mean, it's, it's just an invitation to masturbate. Like there's, I don't really think, um, there's a lot to learn from. I think there's interesting things to talk about. Uh, principle would be this whole notion of is a, is a modern campaign that generates 32.6% satisfactory? Um, what more can be done with those tools to not just identify, groom, and motivate your vote, but to grow it? Um, and I, I think those are interesting questions that were left unposed in the piece. So our sponsor, CN, believes the right way to run a railroad is for the long term. Yes, CN is a publicly held company, and of course, it must be competitive. It has an obligation to its employees and its shareholders to turn a healthy profit, pay dividends, and generate value, which it has done. Since January 2018, CN's share price has grown 36%. That's about 12% a year. At the same time, the company has invested heavily in technology, safety, and infrastructure, all crucial factors in building the railway of the future and continuing to move cargo on time in a competitive market. CN believes that is the way to grow. Others, though, have a different view. One of CN's shareholders is TCI, a British hedge fund. It recently acquired 5% of CN's stock and is now trying to take effective control of the company. In pursuit of that goal, TCI has made misleading public statements about CN's key financial indicators and is pushing to install certain people into the railway's most senior offices. TCI's short-term objective is obvious. It wants to increase the price of the CN shares it holds. It's not hard to imagine how it would accomplish that, starting with slashing costs. It is, after all, a hedge fund. But make no mistake, that would have medium and long-term consequences for CN's customers, employees, and other stakeholders, never mind the company's ability to stay on the cutting edge of railroading. In any case, CN has a couple of things to say. First, the railway already has a strategic value creation plan underway. I've talked about it here in the past couple of weeks. It's a sensible, thoughtful, balanced plan meant to make the railway even more competitive, ensuring a good outcome for all of its stakeholders. Second, it should be noted that while the British hedge fund is indeed a significant CN shareholder, it is also the single biggest shareholder of Canadian Pacific, CN's main competitor. CN wants its thousands of other shareholders to reflect on that. The company has called a special shareholder meeting next March to deal with the issues raised by TCI. It will have more to say on this in the months ahead. Oh, and one other thing. TCI has acknowledged, in writing, that CN's is the best railway network in North America. That's a direct quote. It's also absolutely accurate, and CN intends to keep it that way. CN didn't become the company in the railway it is by thinking short term, and it's not going to start now. Yeah, I don't think the tools with which to do that are obvious anymore. I mean, what this data type of work does is it finds every voter you have and identifies that voter and gives you a way to communicate with them and get them out. But it's impossible to generate new voters with it in part because of the technology itself, which is 
the creative is extremely limited. People will watch, if they'll watch anything, only the briefest of things. And, um, and, and they won't watch things they don't want to watch. So when, when people have decided yeah. to vote for my opponent, they've decided that. And I need to change their mind. In the old days, I put up a television ad, Jenny, and they don't have any choice but to watch it. Now that doesn't exist on television and it doesn't exist on digital because <clears throat> you can just elect not to watch the ad and people don't like to watch things that conflict with their existing opinions. People don't go around the internet looking to be challenged in their point of view. So the, the fact of the matter is that as good as, what, as they are at what they do, the data sciences people worked on the 2018 win campaign. They couldn't help us win that campaign. They can't help you win a campaign where you don't have enough votes. They can help you win if you do have enough votes, but they can't get you more votes. So, but that's really uh, no different than old campaigns. But that's no different than old, like if you don't have the votes, you don't have the votes. You, like so, mm. so it doesn't matter. Kind of, it doesn't matter how you get them or how you communicate with voters. It, it evolves and change. I agree that it's not the same like the ads were you know twenty years ago. But it's still if if you if you've got the voters, you get them out. And if it, and and there's nothing you can do if you don't if you don't have those voters. But it shows in the tight races. Like this is this is a thing. The conservatives are trying to say it's a win because there were what thirty three ridings where they they lost by less than two thousand votes. That's not a win for the conservatives that's not a you know oh we're close to winning in the suburbs you know actually we lost seats in the suburbs like from a from an actual just from an empirical data point of view we lost seats where it's a win is it's it's those tactics it's it's the fact they had those votes and they were able to pull them out that's a win for the liberals in those in those uh in those ridings it's it's it was an absolute win for the for the for the liberal party of canada with the tactics that they they used be it data be it advertising um uh what have you for sure i, I but I'm not sure I agree with something you said there. I mean, all, all in terms of how it played out and who it benefits and all that sort of stuff, I agree completely. But I'm increasingly preoccupied with this question. And I feel like, give me, I'm just, I guess I'm just the gray old man sitting around the Cracker Barrel going, golly, it isn't the way we used to shoe horses, uh, you know. But um, I just, it, it feels like campaigns now, um, and, and this isn't a comment about the liberals, uh, but they are particularly effective at doing it. And so... It, it arises. Campaigns seem so preoccupied with identifying and motivating your own vote as opposed to converting. Uh, there's no process of conversion or very limited process of conversion, it seems. And so um, persuasion. Yeah. I think, and, and I find that I find that like But if there's but if they're targeting Scott, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be targeted by anyone to con convert, the same as I wouldn't be targeted by anyone to convert. But, we're not we're not swing voters. So if that, the focus is gonna point. be on if the focus is gonna be on communicating directly with potential swing voters, the three of us are not swing voters. The Liberal Party of Canada is not going to waste their time communicating with me uh, through any form, through through be it advertising through what have you, just like the Conservative Party of Canada isn't for you. So it is not like there's there are a lot of things and, and more and more will flush out as we see more and more, um, uh, uh, you know, background on the on the campaigns and not just like partisan ones. Like when we see an actual like someone's done an analysis of ads and what have you. But but I think it's hard to say that there's no persuasion. It just it's no persuasion in the typical way, as in we're not you know, you're not sitting and watching the Jays game or the hockey game and seeing seeing persuasion ads, although they, they did play ads. <laughs> if they're if they're data and if they're driving right at us, we are we we are never going to see it. But you just said something interesting. I you just realized about... I just realized, Scott, I just realized, Scott, we're, we're running into it. You and I are running into a wall here. 
Because actually, this is the this liberal campaign is the sincerest form of flattery, isn't it? Because isn't it really the Harper conservatives that pioneered motivating turnout as the driving force of election campaigns as opposed to persuasion? But it's it's been the truth. With this, the Sims database and all that? But this is why, for sure, right. but this is why I'm preoccupied with this question, because this appears to be the fundamental, not just a significant, but the fundamental trend of modern political campaigning. It's true across the Western world that really what uh, successful campaigns do now is identify and motivate their own vote. Jenny, you switched terms on us there. You talked about swing voters. But I what I'm lamenting is I, I wonder how much people do focus on swing voters as opposed to say, you know what, those swing voters might be very hard very expensive, very difficult to reach, and chances are maybe they won't come out at all. So instead, I have to make certain that my 32% feels really wound up. And if it means sending them an ad that reflects the broad narrative of the campaign we're having versus sending them an ad about guns or sending them an ad about needlepoint because needlepoint is the thing that's going to get them up out of the chair i fucking make a facebook ad about needlepoint and i get that to them and there's a brilliance and an insight attached to that but it ends up leaving the swing voter aside doesn't it but but they had if you in, so are the liberals at Sorry, I was Go going ahead. to say there was a part in that article, though, where Pitfield talks about uh, mid-campaign focus groups where even conservative-leaning voters uh, uh, recoiled at the uh, policy, the, the, the policy in terms sure. of uh, yeah. uh, of in terms of guns. And so, so then if you're if you're that, you're actually there are swing there are swing voters like they're the they're the this is the nine oh five. There had to have been people that you know voted for us in eleven, voted Trudeau in fifteen, voted Trudeau in nineteen, who were kind of coming over to us or like on the fence where obviously they were, they were doing some targeting in terms of, of different um, uh, in terms of different. I think that, yes, you want to motivate your, your vote to get out. I think that is the main, main point. And when you look at, at you know, winning with 32.6% of the vote, that was obviously the main, uh, the, the main objective that they had, but it was, there were also people that were on the fence that were going back and forth between um, uh, depending on the riding between the NDP and liberals and the conservative conservatives and the liberals. How do I win the campaign? If I'm Del Duca, how do I come from third place and win? If, um, you, like, I need earned. a, di- I need a it's dynamic. All, it's all come back to earned. It's yeah. all come back to earned now. Yeah. You got to drive it. You got to drive it through earned somehow. Which, which is, is so goddamn hard. To, I know. Back to the days. But uh, if there's other implications of this too, by the way. I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I assume that the reason that the liberals get 10% in Saskatchewan now when they got 20% under uh, Pierre Trudeau it's not that Pierre Trudeau was twice as popular in Saskatchewan as Justin is. I bet the amount of money that went into messaging in Saskatchewan through that data system, targeting system, is close to zero yeah. in this election campaign. Which right? is fascinating because nobody remember- would have seen it. Nobody would have seen an ad. Nobody would have seen a. Why would you? Well, because which is which is interesting because remember the Trudeau guys started out like before and while they were in opposition, early days of opposition, their focus was on adapting uh, the democratic model of you know pay attention to every single riding, leave no riding behind because you may not win those ridings for two two election cycles, but you'll start to groom and build and cultivate a voter base and a professional group of volunteers, and that'll all come together. But that appears, I think, if I understand it correctly, and, you know, Katie or someone can send me an email and say, shut up, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, But it appears as though that approach and philosophy has been abandoned. Yeah, but they lost those are ridings yeah. in 2019. They lost by 70 or 80 percent of the vote. So if you're if you're like in a in a hard fought battle and you, you're you're you know you're, you're not going to waste your time on on ridings where where you where you just got your clock cleaned. It would it would be it would it no. Would, but in the old days, if you bought national television, it would appear in Saskatchewan, even if you didn't want it yeah. to. It would appear in Saskatchewan. Now that doesn't happen. 
Hey, new topic. New topic. <laughs> the TikTok on Thank the you, pod, Ophelia. by the way, the TikTok on the making of the pod is going to be released. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's got, I'm telling you, it's got some blistering insider accounts. 57 people interviewed to tell you how the curse of politics is brought to you and where the real blood was left There's on only the floor. One's- only one insider, and that is Jason Metal Donkers Good, our engineer. He holds all the secrets, and but I think metal is sealed like a vault. Yeah, no, can't crack metal. Since Confederation, owning a home has been part of the Canadian dream. For most people, that dream is much more than just a monthly mortgage payment. A home is where we create our fondest memories and where we can truly be ourselves. For too many, especially young adults, That reality is out of reach, and it's getting worse. The good news is our original sponsor, the Ontario Real Estate Association, or RIA for short, has a plan to save the Canadian dream of home ownership. It includes lowering costs for first-time buyers, ending money laundering in the real estate market, and cutting years of red tape that is standing in the way of more affordable homes for families. The RIA plan will lay the foundation for a future where all people can find a place to call home. When we support the dreams of all of us who want to own a home, we're building healthier families, stronger communities, and a safer, more secure future for all. Read their plan at aurea.com backslash affordable homes. So, I read everywhere this week that the Prime Minister, I, I called in my, hey you, last week I said you should apologize. If you're going to run again, you're going to apologize. And... Um, and he, indeed, I read in every newspaper. He listened to you, David. In sure in Canada, he, that he apologized. But I read this. You know, he listened to me for sure. I, he, oh, yeah. The first thing he does on a Tuesday. Glued to the pod. Okay. Glued to the pod. Yeah. That, that was a big part of the TikTok. Is Katie and and uh, Azam and uh, Pitfield having to beat back Scots and my advice? Um. So with data. <laughs> here's the here's. Here's the apology that every newspaper in Canada, as near as I can tell, characterized as an apology. Traveling on September 30th was a mistake, and I regret it. The first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation was a time for Indigenous people and non-Indigenous alike to reflect and connect, think about the past, but also focus on the future, he said. Is that an apology? Not really. It's kind of a, I'm sorry if you were offended type apology. (laughs) I'm sorry if I hurt right? your feelings. <laughs> Look, most of my life It was, was a mistake, and I regret it. These are very carefully chosen words, and somebody decided not to say the word sorry. You got it, right Deliberately there. Deliberately decided not to say the word sorry. That's, ex- that's the critical insight right there, right? Like, I spend my life doing issues and crisis management, and people make decisions very precisely about what they say and what they don't say in this situation. So when you say it's a mistake and when you say you regret it, there's a vi- like there is in the Bible of crisis communications, right? Like regret is Deuteronomy, right? And and and, and sorry is Genesis, okay? And more people read Genesis <laughs> than Deuteronomy. Um, these things are not the same. And so someone's chosen uh, that deliberately. And I, you know, like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sermonize on it uh, to extend the metaphor, but like, whatever, you know, like that's the decision they made. He clearly either he did not want to, or they determined he did not need to say, I'm sorry. Or they may have concluded that he has said sorry on so many occasions that it may be a no, diminishing commodity. For something that he has done. 
not once for something that he right. has done that I'm aware of. No, he apologized. Sorry. Uh, blackface, I think he was on on yeah. on, on unrestrained in uh, in. Okay, maybe. But, yeah. but he also he maybe. also was, and we talked about this last week too. He was also kind of chippy. Like he was, there was an edge to his voice when he was uh, when he was uh, saying he, he he regrets it and and wished that he had never done it type uh, type thing. In hindsight, uh, it was that chippiness in his voice. So my guess is is that uh, he he said the he he basically said what like the bare minimum uh, or the m- most that he was willing to say after being uh, being kind of. Uh, gone after by his staff and probably members of caucus and, and, and what have you. Cause it, there was a chippiness in his voice um, that you could tell he did not want to do it. He was, he was almost being forced to do it is what I felt. Jenny, this week, the conservatives adopted the reform act, the Michael Chong reform act. Liberals did not adopt the Michael Chong reform act. The caucus wants no power in the liberal party to do anything. Um, but in, not, in, in the Conservative caucus, they've decided that they want to have some power. What is the, read through the tea leaves of this for us, Jenny. Is this a win for O'Toole or a loss for O'Toole? Yeah, interpret well, first, So first of all, the, 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 the Liberals and the NDP, none of the other political parties have ever adopted the Reform Act. The, the, the Conservatives had from, have, have after 2015 and 2019 because caucuses have to vote on it after every election. The difference is, is this time uh, they uh, approved the provision that caucus could trigger a leadership vote, which they did not approve in 2015 and they did not approve in uh, t- uh, 2019. So this is the first part of uh, this. So, so, so the Reform Act could, it, you know, t- talks about the expulsion and the um, and then the readmittance to caucus. This is for a, for a general caucus for an MP. Uh, this this is the leadership review. So I don't think it is a win uh, for um, uh, for uh, Aaron. I think if they thought that there could be a um, kind of a quick quick and dirty vote on his leadership, I think that that probably based on what I've heard, that probably ended based on the caucus meeting, uh, the, the tone in the caucus meeting. Uh, my, uh, from, from anything that, uh, that I've heard, uh, it, was, uh, it was not a pleasant day for Aaron. Um, it probably more so. My, my, from what I have heard, both the people that are upset with Aaron were surprised at the level of vitriol and Aaron's people were surprised at the level of uh, vitriol that was, uh, that was hurled at him. The, the difference being that um, in 2019, people were disappointed um, with the results, but it wasn't any person. It, what, there wasn't any personable person. People weren't personable uh, or per- personally upset with uh, with with Andrew. There was disappointment for this. There were a lot of people, from what I gathered, disappointed in terms of uh, uh, in terms of the election performance for a whole host of reasons, and including you know running as a true blue and then you know basically running as um, um, as a liberal. So I think it's a I think it's a definite. Uh, it's not a win for Aaron. I, th- I think that um, uh, caucus is basically saying uh, I'm watching you. You're in our Sites. We're going to watch and see what happens. I think that caucus is going to have a lot more uh, control than what they have had in any uh, iteration of caucus, probably in in, in modern day Canadian history, uh, based on um, uh, uh, based on uh, the Reform Act and kind of where Aaron is at. Uh, and also, he um, his choice for uh, uh, for caucus chair uh, lost. So he was uh, the Aaron and his people were were pushing for Michael Barrett, um, who was uh, in who was uh, the lead on the ethics com- com- committee. Uh, one of the the uh, the main guys going after we testimony and Scott Reed. So a long time, a former Canadian Alliance MP was elected um, uh, was elected uh, sp- uh, ch- uh, caucus chair. And so um, it, 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 it I think it I think it's um, uh, I, I th- it definitely was not a win. I think that caucus is basically saying to Aaron, uh, you're on uh, 
we're watching you. We're going to see how you, uh, how, how things, how, how you perform, uh, what, what you do. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been shocking this, this, uh, uh, there has been the, uh, in the last week, um, the, there have been major economic stories, the price of gas, gas shortage, uh, the price of gas last week, uh, it was at record levels in some places around in Ontario was a, almost a uh, dollar fifty for a liter of gas. Um, you also have Tiff Macklin who came out and said, oh, by the way, when I was telling all of you guys that uh, there isn't going to be inflation, probably deflation. It's all nothing's going to nothing's going to happen here. He's like, well, we might have miscalculated uh, uh, and, the, and inflation is going to continue to rise, which, by the way, Tiff, um, I'm no economic. I'm not not an economist, but I think I've been saying on this podcast for the last eight or nine months that this was going to end up being. And the conservative leader, Aaron, was silent. The only like on the days where this was going forward, and these are major issues that affect Canadians that actually Canadians care about. Like this is this is pocketbook issues that they it's it's cost. People can't afford to like fill up their cars um, with gas. Um, the only thing the leader's office was putting out was celebrating like World Egg Day and World like uh, Beer Day. Um, so um, so I think it's 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 definitely kind of at this point paralyzed. Um, uh, paralyze the uh, OLO or at least the 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 party in terms of uh, uh, in terms of Aaron's leadership. Can I just Jenny? How just, did you celebrate World Egg Day? <laughs> I didn't even know it was World Egg Day until someone said Aaron's tweet. <laughs> I souffled my ass off. Um, but Jenny, uh, Jenny, and David, I think just for the for the benefit of listeners, I, I think you know you said something in passing there, and I'd like to clarify. Because um, we don't want to cause, goodness knows, we don't want to cause any confusion. There are the, the Scott Reed to whom you're making reference, who's now the oh. Conservative Caucus Chair, is not me. There's a two, and for years, you know, the both of us were in Ottawa, and 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 uh, and I would be in the Prime Minister's office, and he was a caucus member, a member of Parliament um, uh, for Hastings, Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington, and and we would get each other's mail, right? So he would get like you know, secret budget documents. And I would get like ladies of the far right calendars or, you know, dirty jokes and participatory democracy. Um, he's, uh, he's just a different guy. So I just think for leaders, uh, for listeners, we want to make certain that people don't confuse us. He's um, yeah. We used, we used to have to say our Scott Reed or liberal Scott Reed. I, yeah. I, I like to think one of them is endorsed by thousands of people every four years. And the other is of course you. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never been endorsed. Um, uh, we're, where's that time go, flies though, when you're having fun, All folks. Right. No, no, we got to have time. You can come, right. come back to it next week. Okay. Yeah, we'll be Wait, he lived that long? Conservative leadership. We'll, we'll be talking about the conservative leadership review for a while, is my feeling. Uh, just while we've got a minute left in the show, Gordon Pinson, gather everybody around for Jenny Burns. Hey, you. Ladies and gentlemen, please return to your seats. The hey yous are about to begin. <laughs> I think we're ready. Well, listen, my hey you goes to uh, Justin Trudeau and the government. Um, we talked about this a bit yes, uh, last week, but come on, where the fuck are we in terms of like swearing in a new government? It's been, uh, you know, it's almost been a month. It's been three weeks. Uh, this has been the longest I have ever seen uh, a transition period because this really isn't a transition period this isn't like you're forming a new government we, we new governments are sworn in uh, uh in in a shorter amount of time than what this is happening um and so the the media reports said that it's going to not be till the end of october which that's like well over a month before they're actually like swearing in a, a new government and i'm not really sure why 
um, why they're waiting this long. It seems very bizarre to me. It's not like there's anything uh, like, you know, the, the, the regular, uh, the regular business of government can, can still go on. It's not like there's anything, um, there's not a major crisis. There's, there's always major crisis. You've got the economy, you've got, um, uh, you've got, uh, you've got the pandemic, obviously, uh, but I'm not sure why dragging your feet and not swearing in a cabinet sooner rather than later is, is, uh, is helping. It just seems, uh, it's, it seems very bizarre and I can't figure out why they're, where, why they're doing it, but they should get onto it. Well, they're not going to fool me again with the notion that taking a long time implies deep thinking and uh, fundamental <laughs> repositioning or anything. And I've fallen for that a couple of times. Scott, you got any you? Uh, yeah, I would just, I guess my 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 first choice would be to second uh, Jenny's choice. Uh, I think that's the only hey you that really matters in Canadian politics right now. Like, where where did government go? Where did government gone, man? Where is the government? Um but my my related hey you I guess would be to Christia Freeland. Um, one thing we know about the cabinet is that she will be the finance minister. The prime minister made that clear on day one uh, after the election, literally, and so she has plenty of rain and rain. Boy, she got a nice fluffer piece this weekend. Hey? Well, I know she's been uh, she's 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 fighting for an independent Ukraine, and I think that's swell. Um, but I <laughs> I want to hear her on the economy. Like, I really, really, I just think for a bunch of reasons. One, uh, you know, if, if I may elevate the purpose of this podcast to the national interest, in the national interest, let's talk about the economy and the economic choices available to us. To but I think for the political running. interest. Yes. Well, I say to you, Christia, uh, this economy needs some attention. <laughs> I think it needs a little love and care. I think it needs. I think if we have time for Ukraine, but well, we have time for inflation. Um, but um, I'm not kidding, though. Like, and I also think politically, it's really important for the government to take control, grab the economy by the throat as an issue, and show that we're leading on it. And I, I just, I like, there is nothing that's stopping uh, the government from filling the vacuum until a cabinet is sworn in. There's nothing stopping Christian Freeland from going out and talking about the economy, reflecting on what we heard from the Bank of Canada governor last week, talking about the challenges, telling us that right after the throne speech, we're going to get an economic update. I think that would be a good idea. I just want to hear this government make a much more pronounced emphasis on economic management and lay out a plan. And I just, uh, I, I know I sound again, like I just sound like an old man. This is the shit phone calls we used to get when we were in government, right? Why aren't you talking about the economy? But literally I'm saying, why aren't you talking about the economy? Get out there and talk about the economy. We know you're going to be the finance minister. So you have every right to do so. Fucking do it. Let's go. Fucking Martinites, one trick ponies, all of them. 100%. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> my hey you. Uh, I guess if you're going to pick up on where the government's gone, my hey you goes out to Premiers Kenny and Mo. Um, you down tools on COVID uh, months and months ago. You're missing in action as governments. You appear to me from a distance to have completely fractured your societies. I watched the Ryder game this weekend. I presume that game was close to sold out, but a scattered crowd in attendance. And the divisions of people fighting against each other in those two provinces is awful. You two premiers, don't just consult more people than you've been consulting. Consult different people than you've been consulting. You've got a hell of a job, not just fighting COVID, but in rebuilding solidarity in your provinces. You've done a really, you've had a summer for the ages, I would have to say. All right, that's the show. 
I would like to thank our presenting sponsor, TELUS, our, our sponsor, Canadian National Railway, and ORIA, the Ontario Real Estate Association. Thanks, everybody, for listening or watching, whatever you're doing. Scott and Jenny, fucking great to talk to you. Take care until next week. Bye. Bye.